we are psychobiological regulators. And when we can understand that and work with the nervous systems, it's a pretty profound healing. Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap between what you believe and what you actually experience. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Thanks so much for listening. Joining Michael on this Labor Day weekend podcast, we've got Barb Mayberger helping us delve into the fascinating world of trauma therapy. Now, Barb is an expert in the field and a passionate advocate for EMDR therapy, and we'll explore how this transformative approach helps clients address past experiences that still affect them today. Now, from understanding the role of the brain in trauma to the power of integrating the mind-body connection, Barb will share her wealth of knowledge and experience, and she and Michael will also touch on the importance of finding the right therapist, the impact of trauma on relationships, and the promising shift toward trauma-informed treatment in schools. This is sure to be an eye-opening conversation that will leave you with a newfound appreciation for the power of healing and transformation. So now without any further delay, here's your host, Michael John Cusick. Barb Mayberger, uh, it's good to see you again. Thanks for taking time for the podcast. Well, I'm really glad to be here today, and it's just wonderful that you've asked me to be here. Awesome. I want to start out with uh, kind of the question that is for the uninitiated to EMDR therapy. What is EMDR therapy? Well, that's a big question. In a simple way, I'm going to say anything that has caused you distress or symptoms that you're really struggling with, you can use EMDR therapy with. And it's a type of therapy to help people resolve trauma. You might have heard of PTSD where people are traumatized by things. But I like to define it bigger where if anything's happening to you where you you left with these symptoms and you you don't know what to do with it, this work will help you move through it and feel more integrated, whole, and uh, people feel more empowered. So when people think of PTSD, they often think of uh, veterans coming back from combat or catastrophes like earthquakes, tsunamis, sexual assault, but you're referring to just the normal distresses and stresses and aspects of life that kind of turn us upside down. Yes. So it's most known for, and the research really supports working with those big things you just said of the war and natural disasters and and rape and sexual abuse. And I think that's what people are most familiar with. But then those stressors of every day where maybe um, you lost someone or uh, an animal and you're still grieving over it years later. And it feels like it just happened yesterday. This person's kind of stuck in the past and this work helps them move through it so they feel more in their present. It's not that it takes it away and they go, oh, that never happened. It's like, okay, here it is. Um, this horrible thing happened and I'm okay now. So that, that word stuck, stuck in the past, that's a key word. And already we're on this idea that it could be anything that gets us stuck in the past, something as quote unquote simple as losing a pet or an animal. Although for many people, that's a, that's a very significant bond. Yes. Maybe for many, the most important bond they've had in their life. And something like that can keep people stuck. Um, in the past, 
you and I are of the generation where uh, the old school model was with an issue like that. You just go talk, talk, talk to a therapist and hopefully someday kind of work it out. But you're suggesting that the CMDR therapy is something that can get people unstuck through the therapy itself. Yes, it's a very different kind of therapy. So traditional therapy is what you were talking about, the talk therapy, where I'm using a part of my brain that rationalizes, makes sense of things, and I can say, well, okay, this thing happened to me, but I'm still overtaken with these emotions, and my body sometimes starts trembling and I feel out of control and I don't know why. That's because this trauma is held in a different part of the brain. And so this work activates that other part of the brain so that we can move through that, heal it, and integrate it with that knowledge that we have uh, from the talk therapy. And EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing Therapy. And the key component of it is bilateral stimulation. And since you mentioned brain, talk to me about the bilateral stimulation, what that is, and kind of the overview of how that works. So... That's a big question. Yeah, <laughs> we can break it down into parts. <laughs> Let's do that. So first, we have to get familiar with the parts of the brain to be able to go Great. into that bilateral piece. So when we have a trauma, there's a part of the brain called the limbic system. And there's the amygdala and the hippocampus and the thalamus. And so the thalamus is this router, and it routes information. So Something happens and the brain routes it to different parts of the brain for us to take action or do different things. When we get overwhelmed or stressed, it gets routed to the amygdala. And the amygdala is that place that goes, danger warning, you got to get out of here. This is bad stuff. This is bad. I'm going to run. I'm going to fight. Something's got to happen here to keep me safe. And so when we get overwhelmed, that can happen. And sometimes we can't integrate that. We can't move past that. We get stuck in that. And so example would be if someone comes back from the war and they're going down the street and a siren goes off. And boom, that siren triggers off that response of being back in the war. It's hitting that place in the amygdala where that that place is unintegrated. And so it's as if the past is happening right now in the present. So people get really, really uncomfortable. And we have those symptoms of nightmares, flashbacks and sweating and feeling really panicky. And so this work, when we do this bilateral stimulation, which is with the eyes moving back and forth, or we can tap on the knees back and forth, or we have little pulsers that can go in the hands back and forth, or tones going back and forth in the ears, what we're hypothesizing now is that it stimulates this part of the brain that knows how to integrate this information. So if we have this unintegrated uh, piece that's happened to us. This somehow, this back and forth action while I'm in the present moment. So I'm here now, safe in the room, going, Oh, I'm here in the room with Michael. This isn't happening right now. While this dual attention is going on and this action is going back and forth, while I'm thinking of something bad, the brain gets activated to do what it knows how to do. And so all those parts kind of come online again that went offline because we were overwhelmed and stressed and we're in this amygdala. Ah! So it's really bringing it all together so I can then move that 
unintegrated piece into different parts of the brain to go, all right, this is in the past. It's done. It's over. I'm safe now. I'm okay. And as you've done this therapy and now you exclusively train counselors to do this therapy and you consult on cases with counselors, what kind of results have you seen? Because my experience has been that this can be quite amazing and remarkable. Mm -hmm. Well, it's twofold. I see changes in the therapist as I'm training them. The other day I was just talking to someone who said, what did I do before I knew EMDR therapy? Like, how did I even do therapy? Because she was seeing such profound changes in her clients. And what you see with clients is a change from, let's say, if I was uh, raped. And I might be believing I'm powerless and I'm not safe in the world. By the end of this work, you'll see them saying things like, um, I can make good choices. I'm strong now. I'm capable. And I never told them to say that. That really came from inside their own being. So this wisdom comes forward that is truly profound and many times has brought me to tears because I've seen these changes where people... They walk different, they talk different, and their lives literally change. So literally that trauma or distress that's kind of locked into the part of the brain where it doesn't get processed, that's affecting people across the board, how they experience themselves, their thoughts and beliefs, the way that they relate to others. And their posture. So it's it's the whole body-mind connection, right? So what we think and feel is reflected in how we move in the world and how we move in the world is reflected in how we think and feel. And so if I'm walking around going, I'm a loser and I'm stupid and nobody loves me, my shoulders might be, you know, collapsed. I might uh, not make eye contact. I might have trouble making uh, relationships that are meaningful. And when you work through these things that are stuck, you'll see people start lifting their head and their shoulders will come back and they'll walk into the room differently. It's really a profound change. And because I've trained with you, I've heard you use the phrase that EMDR therapy allows the brain to heal itself and that the therapist is obviously trained, but they're really just a, a channel and kind of creating the conditions for the brain to heal itself. Talk a little bit about how the brain heals itself. Well, there is this theory that adaptive information processing system that our, our brain knows how to integrate external stimulation and internal stimulation. So what we sense in the world, whether it's cold, hot, the temperature, the sun's shining, they're snowing, um, you know, sounds that we're hearing, the smells, the taste, we're taking all that information in all the time. And then, of course, our own body sensations and emotional experiences of that, the, the brain knows how to integrate that. And so we have this way of learning what we need to learn and let go of what we don't need. But when we have a trauma, that interrupts this adaptive information processing system. And so the system can't do what it knows how to do. And so in EMDR therapy, we're trying to help activate the client's own brain's knowingness how to heal. And so through that process, those unintegrated pieces become integrated. Who exactly should go to or seek out EMDR therapy? Well, that's a great question <laughs> because I think everybody should. Um, 
I, what I'm so struggling with still in our society, Michael, is this stigma that going to therapy, you must be crazy. And I've even heard in my training, some therapists say, well, if I go get my own EMDR therapy, I'm telling my clients I'm crazy. And I'm not in that camp at all. I think that we as human beings have our traumas, our woundings, and the more that we work with them, heal them, the more uh, enjoyable life gets and the more intimate our relationships can be, more satisfying our jobs can be. So getting to know ourselves, I think, is the greatest gift we can give ourselves. So let's talk a little bit about some of the atypical ways that this trauma and distress plays out. There's obviously, um, we've both referred to the, some of the major traumas, and I forget who it was that first talked about capital T trauma and small t trauma. But I see in my work, sometimes in marriages, uh, when people are unaware of trauma, there's one or both persons that is... Uh, or in any relationship, any intimate relationship where somebody's being triggered, somebody will make a comment or a look, and the other person reacts through escalation, through withdrawal, and they'll say later, you know, my heart started racing, and my face flushed, and my muscles got tight, and I just wanted to hit something. Or um, my partner looked at me a certain way, and I just imploded inside, and I just wanted to withdraw. And what I'm seeing is that all of the communication skills in the world and, you know, all of the insight in the world only makes a small dent in that in some cases. And doing EMDR has actually helped people to be able to respond instead of react. So have you seen situations that are a little more um, like that and not necessarily these capital T traumas? You know, what you just uh, said was so beautiful. And I want to add to that first is that. You know, it's a perfect example of what I was talking about is that part of the brain that's the rational brain. And I can give you all the tools to go, okay, say it like this and it'll be just fine. But my body is going, uh, and that really is rooted in some historical pieces so that when we're doing this work, we really want to get back to where was the beginning of this, uh, which is usually rooted in our childhood. And a lot of times with couples, when you take that trigger and what we call in EMDR therapy, lighting it up, finding a way to kind of activate you so you are uncomfortable and say, when's the first time you ever felt this way? And getting back into your childhood, a lot of times it goes back to mom or dad or a step parent or a teacher at school. And when we can find those places and when we heal that, then it shifts what's happening in the current uh, relationship. And then they don't experience that anymore. And they can use those tools that we just talked about of shifting their communication and staying in relationship. So I think whenever we have something currently triggering us, this word we're, we're kind of using where we feel that, that heart racing or we want to withdraw or we want to run away or we want to fight. When we take the time to get back into where this started and heal from that place, true healing can happen. It's interesting that you talked about uh, past experiences like a, a situation in school, because in my work with men, and I'm sure it can happen with women, I'll hear someone's story or I'll read their, their paperwork they filled out about their history. And nope, I had a great childhood. You know, nothing traumatic ever happened to me. And people are typically thinking about 
you know, I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home or I didn't get beaten or something like that. When oftentimes it's something subtle and simple. And because we were able to just kind of move on and be okay. Uh, I was talking to someone recently who one of their most painful memories was two or three times um, as a young boy being chosen last on the baseball team or not being picked in gym class. And our society says, you know, get over it, <laughs> grow up. But the brain and the, the, the amygdala doesn't get over that. And again, just tell me how EMDR can help somebody get over that when they may not have even been aware of it. Well, it's really fascinating that many times when you start with something in this present day that's bothering them and you find this way to light it up and float it back and get to those places of maybe I was picked last on the team a couple times, my brain, the client's brain takes us there. And that's the beauty of this work is I don't tell you what it's connected to. I don't go, hey, Michael, I know that that must be connected to what you're struggling now because you were picked last, you know, on the team. So there's this place where when their brain takes them there, clients get this, oh my gosh, really? That That's connected? And when we begin this bilateral stimulation with this dual attention of I'm in the room now and I'm safe and I'm doing this, this work, clients get that knowledge coming in to go, oh yeah, well, I've overcome that. I'm actually a pretty cool person and, you know, I'm doing some really great things right now and my life's good. And they can start putting it in the right category. And that information coming in resources the client to be more resilient and actually put that past in the past to say, that's over, it's done, and now here I am. And the way that uh, Francine Shapiro, who's the the inventor slash founder of EMDR therapy, the way that she designed the protocols formally is that it's a past, present, future protocol. So it's not just about healing the past and getting people unstuck. It's about helping them in the present and strengthening the connections of their brain and that empowerment of self, like I'm an okay person, but also uh, to help people envision themselves living differently in the future. Talk about that. I love that part of the process and that, you know, it's really this integrative process of helping people be more adaptive in their lives. And so let's just use this example that we were talking about. Someone's getting triggered in their marriage. It floats back to this time they were asked to be last on the, the team. And you go, how could that even be meaningful here? But that, that belief back in the childhood is I'm unlovable. Nobody wants me. And when they heal that and they go, wait a minute, I'm pretty awesome and I'm a cool person. And they bring that back up into the relationship of the marriage and go, oh, this isn't about this other person. This was about me and that that baseball person or whoever. I Oh, that's my partner. Oh, I like my partner. And I'm a pretty cool person. And then we can say, hey, now when your partner looks at you like that, how would you like to behave, act, and feel with this new belief of I'm a pretty cool person? And it can shift the relationship dynamic so much. It's really beautiful. So that them envisioning that and picturing how they'd like to be kind of gets imprinted into the brain and new pathways develop? Yes. And part of our work is when we take things into the future is repeating them over and over and over because that's how we learn. We learn through repetition. So if you think of a baby, they drop the spoon many times and you pick it up and you drop the spoon and eventually one day they're holding it. 
we want to repeat things over and over so that neural pathway gets stronger and stronger. And it's so easy for the uh, brain then to go there. Some people are freaked out just by the idea of going to counseling or therapy at all. And I think they think, you know, we, we've probably both had clients in the past who walk in and expect to sit on a Freudian style couch with their back to the therapist who has uh, a clipboard, you know, saying, tell me about your mother or something like that. But I've had people walk into my office and say, do you want me to lay down, stand up, et cetera? So there's a there's this kind of mysterious element for people that haven't been to therapy. But walk me through if someone comes to a counselor who's EMDR trained what they can expect to happen. What might you tell your students in terms of here's how to work with the client? Well, I would say first, any client um, looking for an EMDR therapist should interview a couple therapists to start with. Um, You know, research supports that no matter what type of therapy you're doing, the connection you feel with that person is the most important thing. And I I think that that's what people are afraid of is, is this person going to be judging me? Is this person going to, you know, have this bad negative thought of me? And you want to pick someone who you feel safe with, that you feel like you could be vulnerable with, because you're going to be telling them some things that are hard. And yet this person who's a therapist is holding a very loving space for you. And so I think that's the biggest thing I want people to walk away with is knowing that therapists walk in with a very um, loving space first, that they actually do want to help. What people can actually expect with an EMDR therapist, assuming that the person is is loving and wants to be of help, uh, people hear, oh, well, there's wires that are involved in this. And and what do you mean? Am I (laughs) going to be hypnotized if you're making my eyes go back and forth? (laughs) Well, the first thing I always say is, you know, we're going to get to know you and get to know your history and and what are the things that are bothering you so we can pay attention to what we want to work on. But then when we introduce EMDR therapy, this crazy thing of the eyes going back and forth or the tapping or the pulse or the wires, whatever, that we want to make it user friendly for you. And so we start with things that feel good, like finding a place where you feel calm and relaxed and giving you skills where you feel more in control and empowered. And as we build on that, we start introducing this bilateral stimulation and you actually get to feel better. And as that builds and you get stronger, then we can actually turn to the traumas and turn our attention to that. Barb, what should uh, someone look for in an EMDR therapist? Because I've seen people out there that say they do EMDR because they watched a five-minute video on YouTube, which is really unfortunate. I did your training, uh, which I'll talk more about in a minute, but it was a a pretty rigorous 55-hour training. Um, So how do people know they're getting somebody who's really qualified? I would say one, look for an EMDRIA approved training, which is EMDR International Association. And from that, then make sure that you're getting good consultation through the process. There are many uh, trainings out there now. It's kind of the flavor of choice, you want to say, where um, you're getting a part of the training and going, okay, go out and just do it. And I think there's so many pieces to learn in doing good trauma treatment that um, I I put a lot of care and attention and intention into my trainings to make sure that no one falls through the cracks. I want people to succeed and I want them to feel good about the work. Since you touched on it, uh, tell me about the Mayberger Institute, which is uh, the organization that you're the founder and director of. What's your vision with the Mayberger Institute? 
Well, my mission has been to give the gift of EMDR therapy to as many therapists as I possibly can, because when I get to see therapists change in how they're doing work, where they feel more meaning and purpose in what they're doing, they're more excited. And it's this huge web that's getting created. So I've trained now personally over a thousand therapists in EMDR therapy. So I'm, I'm kind of happy about that because that's a huge web out there of healing that's happening. And then I, I offer this basic training to really give people the skills. But then beyond that, I really uh, offer different advanced courses where um, as you get into this work, more skills are needed to really enhance what you know. And my master's is in somatic psychology. And so I'm really into the mind-body connection. And EMDR therapy, I really believe, is a body-centered therapy. But a lot of therapists aren't trained in body-centered therapies. And so I've created all these advanced courses with wonderful teachers who I've gone to school with or um, admired their work. And I have a beautiful team of people that I work with where we're trying to bring more skills and help therapists get more comfortable working with that body-mind connection because you've already mentioned this earlier where I can think something and I can think and think and think it, but if I don't learn how to integrate it through my whole being, it's just a thought. So tell me about the advanced trainings you do because I understand there's trainings in EMDR therapy and addiction as well as uh, EMDR therapy and attachment. Yes, those are two of the courses that I offer. Um Addictions, we, we really look at um, what is the underlying trauma and attachment wounding that drives the addictive behavior. And when we really heal the traumas and the attachment, the addictive behaviors calm down. That my need to actually do these behaviors, I, I don't have that need anymore because I'm actually healed inside. So we're really about going deeper underneath the distress of the addiction and getting to that core wounding. There's so many, so many good books on addiction, but I credit you with turning me onto the book by Gabor Mate in the realm of Hungry Ghost, where he talks about so many different aspects of addiction, from the spiritual aspects of addiction to the brain wiring, uh, the, the obvious chemical dependency issues. But he's one of the first people that I read that talks about the attachment aspect that's underlying addiction. I know. I was so excited when I read that book, and I thought, this man's making a real change in the world. And when we get down to this early, early attachment. And what we're talking about in attachment is from age zero to three. And that's original bond with our mother or our primary caretaker who really bonded with us. Um, and, you know, fathers too. But there's that place of um, who's really caring for this baby. And when we don't get our needs met as a baby, we're on our own. And when we're on our own, that can cause a lot of distress. And that's happening again in that area of the amygdala, which we were talking about earlier. And so I go into this, ah, nobody's there, but I don't have the part of my brain online yet to make sense of all these feelings. So I can have all of these big feelings and not understand it. What are some of the ways you see attachment issues playing out? 
You can see that in any kind of intimacy issues in relationship. You might even see it in a problem at a job and you keep getting triggered with your boss. So any kind of relational pieces that you're struggling with, whether it's at work, whether it's with your intimate partner, with with friends, coworkers, that can lead us to attachment work. Barb, tell me a little bit about your background. You have a unique background that brought you into doing psychotherapy. Well, my undergrad degree was in modern dance, and I was a professional dancer for years. And once I was at a dance festival, I took a massage therapy course, and I went, someday when I can't dance anymore, I'm, I'm going to do that. And well, I got injured, and I couldn't dance. And so I thought, well, while I'm injured, I'll go learn this, you know, massage and have another skill so I can support myself dancing. And once I started school with massage therapy, I went, oh my gosh, I love this so much. I don't, I don't need to dance anymore. And I was off to the races, uh, learning massage therapy. And I did that for about 18 years. And through that process, as I kept studying, I started studying more and more subtle energy, and I found that the more subtle I was working with the body, people were starting to remember being sexually abused in their childhood, and I'd go, oh, uh... I don't know what to do with this, so um, let's make nice here and go see your therapist because I, I don't know what to do with this. And so eventually that led me to getting my master's in somatic psychology and really bringing the brain and the body together because I was so body oriented to begin with. So I went and got my master's at Naropa University. And uh, through that process, I really had an emphasis on trauma. And I was really, because of this sexual abuse piece um, that I was experiencing through uh, helping people through massage, I went, I've got to learn how to work with this. And so that was really my emphasis is working with trauma. And then a couple years later, um, oh, well, while I was in school, this is kind of funny, um, bad things were being said about EMDR therapy. And I was like, I'm not going to learn this because really horrible things were being said. And as somatic therapy, I was like, oh, it's going to get stuck in your organs and you're going to have illness from it. I'm like, why would I want to learn that? So I really really put it way off. Um, I wasn't going to learn it. And then a couple of years later, a, a colleague friend of mine took a, a workshop and she said, hey, you've got to learn EMDR therapy. It's very body centered. And I said, no, 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 no. And she did a session on me and I went, okay, I'm hooked. This this was a, a new experience that I'd had where I really felt that integration at the end that we'd been talking about earlier. And I just went out and started studying like crazy. And I, I was very fortunate that I um, found a uh, Molly Girosh here in Boulder, Colorado, and I started studying with her. And eventually she asked me to help her with her trainings and uh, she retired and I took over the trainings and it's truly my passion right now. And I just I just love teaching this work. Give me other examples with somatic psychology of what kind of therapies might be offered to help with the mind body connection. Well, right now, what uh, you might hear Pat Ogden's sensory motor integration, or you might hear of Peter Levine's somatic experiencing. He's written a couple books. She's written a couple books. Um, they're the most famous sort of out there, but there's dance movement therapy. You could put yoga in there now. Yoga's becoming therapeutic and kind of a, a thing that's in the news. So there's lots of ways to start integrating the body with the mind. 
And all of this is really a shift. There's always been this undercurrent of the mind-body, but it's being integrated more and more into psychology. And I think the biggest thing is that it's being validated by science. So the quote-unquote medical community is now uh, validating it. But talk to me about um, going all the way back from your work as a massage therapist, where you're obviously very aware of people's bodies and there's extensive anatomy and physiology that you have to learn into your somatic psychology degree. How you've seen the field of counseling and psychology shift more and more in this way. And, and is that a good thing? Well, one, I want to uh, say I'm really grateful to people like Bessel van der Kolk right now, who is pretty famous in the trauma world. And he, you know, years ago, I heard him speak and he wasn't into the body-mind connection. And through the years, he's really changed and shifted. And his book, The Body Keeps the Score, out now, I think, is really helping with this shift. But as I travel around the country, there are definitely pockets of areas that still aren't on board, that this is still frou-frou and voodoo and what are you doing out there and there's no research to support it and I would just like to say that EMDR therapy does have a lot of research and so um, it's well documented that it, it is you know, effective with a lot of people. So I think that the field, I'm so glad that it is because we used to be looked at as the weird ones. Like, what are you doing over there? You're moving and you're having people stand up and what, what is that? But you know, sometimes when people really connect what they're thinking and how their body is moving, it's a deeper experience and they, they really, um, appreciate it by the end. I find that even people that love to come to therapy and talk, or people on the other end who hate the idea of therapy and have a hard time talking or being vulnerable, that when they begin to understand that there's actually something in their brain that is stuck, that there's something that's not processed, uh, that they go, oh, oh my gosh, okay, well, I can do that. So it's almost like going to the doctor to get an ultrasound treatment to help your back muscles relax. And I think that when therapists give this information to their clients, the client feels less crazy and they go, oh, oh, okay, my brain was wired to do this. Oh, it was wired to do this to protect me. It served me then, but now it's not serving me. It makes it less um, diagnostic or pathological and just kind of human nature. Right. Yeah. It's, it's helping shift from a, a pure pathology model of dysfunction and disorder to we're all human and we're all affected neurologically in our brain in a way that affects our experiencing and relating to the world. You know, I, I really try to do in my trainings of, you know, paying attention to your client's nervous system and less with the label of, oh, they're bipolar or they're borderline or they're whatever. And really going, who's sitting in front of you and what is this person's distress in their nervous system and how do you help them regulate their nervous system? Because we are psychobiological regulators. And when we can understand that and work with the nervous systems, um, it's a pretty profound healing. I'm always surprised, and then again, I'm not that surprised, that graduate schools, uh, your average graduate school, this might have been different for you at Naropa and with a somatic psychology degree, but graduate schools don't teach this. And by and large, they don't teach uh, a, a practical behavioral understanding of the brain. You've got to get your degree and then go get this training. Do you see that shifting in the future? 
Well, I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. I still think that there is a strong emphasis on the cognitive work. Um, There's very few schools that have somatic programs. So I'm hoping with the dialogue opening up that that can start shifting. Can you tell me, obviously, without using names or specific people, some of your success stories, uh, either through stories you've heard from your students or in your work prior to becoming uh, just a trainer and consultant? Well, I worked a lot with clients who had um, domestic violence or sexual abuse in their childhood. And when I really helped them with the sexual abuse or the the domestic violence, um, what I would see is they would get more empowered, make different choices in their life and feel less of a victim. I think when you've been victimized and you're stuck in that victim place, that actually the brain kind of sets a tempo where that keeps happening over and over and over. And when you heal that, those kinds of things stop happening to you. It's kind of a weird thing that happens in our brain that way. And so what I found is people start making different choices in their life. They feel more empowered. They pick healthier relationships, things like that. It helps them to break cycles. Right. I've also seen, uh, you know, parents who've lost a child, which is one of the most horrific things you can possibly imagine. And I thought, how is this person ever going to heal from this? And I've seen the most amazing things, Michael, where the uh, deceased becomes sort of a guardian angel to them. And the person becomes more at peace with this loss and can bond with that that person through the good and in, in the, the good of the relationship versus all the pain. And so it's shifts their relationship to what happened. You have written a book called EMDR Essentials, and I understand you're writing another book right now. Tell me about that. Yes, I am co-authoring this with Dr. Ariel Schwartz, who we have been teaching together for 17 years, and we met at Naropa University. And our passion is with these advanced EMDR workshops. So we're trying to bring those body-centered skills and interventions to the masses because we want people to have these skills. So we're really integrating EMDR therapy and somatic psychology. But the book is really practical with scripts in it to guide the therapist of how they can actually use these skills in the office with their clients. So it's a book for therapists or is it a book for like EMDR Essentials was a book that you wrote really for people to understand about EMDR. And it sounds like this book is is more geared for therapists. This book is geared for EMDR trained therapists that to enhance their skills that they've already learned. And yes, my first book was really to just walk people through who want to find an EMDR therapist, walk them through the process. What are all the steps? What can they expect? Some stories that uh, my clients were willing to share to show how this work could help them. What would you say to people that are doing counseling or even in the middle of a counseling graduate program um, that are either suspicious about EMDR or hesitant to get trained? I would say talk to somebody who's been trained with me. (laughs) So to see, um, you know, if you talk to a therapist who's been trained and loves EMDR therapy and why do they love it and what are they seeing so they can kind of squelch those fears. 
And then how would they go about choosing where to get trained? Obviously, that's what you do. And I would highly recommend the Mayberger Institute. Mm-hmm. I did the 55-hour basic training. Uh, I did a, a, a course on uh, self-care for therapists. I'm looking forward to both the addiction and the attachment courses. But how, how do you navigate all that since anybody nowadays can put together a, a program online? True. I would say, uh, again, look at um, the referrals. A lot of my uh, trainees come from direct referrals of people that I've trained and they said, hey, you've got to train with Barb. Um, look into the trainer. Is the trainer going to follow you through all the pieces? Who are you really going to have? Who are you going to have as your consultant on the consultation hours? Because there's part of that 50 hour training is um, consultation and who's going to provide that for you and what are their skills and and what are they going to provide for you? So ask a lot of questions about the training and make sure you know, because sometimes um, not all of the pricing is included in everything or who's doing what. Tell me about how EMDR was invented. So Dr. Francine Shapiro was getting her doctorate degree in psychology and she was observing herself one day while she was walking in the park and she noticed if she was thinking of something disturbing and her eyes were moving back and forth that all of a sudden it wasn't so disturbing. So she started experimenting and saying, hey, Michael, bring up something disturbing and move your eyes back and forth. And they were people were like, what are you talking about? And so then she developed the eye movement. So follow my fingers with your eyes. And so that the eyes were going back and forth, but they were following the fingers. Through that, she developed a protocol that could be researched, duplicated, done over and over and over so that it could be researched. And so the protocol has developed over the years and um, it's one of the highest research therapies out there right now. And is there a connection with the eyes moving back and forth? A lot of people might be thinking of rapid eye movement. If you watch a child or an individual sleeping, there's something restorative about while we go into that deep level of sleep about the eyes moving back and forth. Yes. We used to think that during REM sleep, that was when this healing would occur with the, that the eye movements were creating sort of a REM sleep. But now what we're uh, hypothesizing, it's more about an orienting response to safety. And so as we're doing the dual awareness, um, I have one foot in the present, one foot in the past. While my eyes are going back and forth, a lot of things are happening at once. But here I have one foot in the present, one foot in the past. Eyes are going back and forth. While I'm thinking of this disturbance, it helps the brain understand that now is different than then and activates different parts of the brain. So it's more of the orienting response right now that we're looking at. There have been so many changes um, in science in general, not even talking about psychotherapy in particular, where now, whether it's in the New York Times or Huffington Post or an article on Facebook, you see brain, 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 brain. It's like the new buzzword. What do you think are some of the most important changes about what we're learning about the brain and the implications of that for healing? Well, I think we're still in the beginning phases and I'm so glad that the neuroscience is developing. And I think even what I'm going to be teaching about EMDR therapy in 10 years might be different from the information that we're getting. 
So I think what's beautiful is the more we know what's happening, the more we can intervene and make different changes. So an example would be, um, you know, trauma-informed treatment for schools. That's a big thing right now, which I'm really excited about, where if kids are getting dysregulated in school and they're punished, it's really a trauma response that's happening. And they're in their amygdalas again. Here we are talking about that amygdala again. And these poor kids can't regulate themselves. So when you punish them, you're punishing them in a way that's recapitulating the trauma, essentially. So as more our society becomes more trauma informed, we can start then doing different kinds of interventions, which could be healing in a much earlier stage of people's lives, which I think could help the world in amazing ways. That's exactly what I was thinking um, with the assumption that our world seems to be more traumatizing than ever. Um, and somebody might argue, well, you know, a caveman living in the woods being attacked by a saber-toothed tiger, that's pretty traumatic. But uh, we, we can now, uh, on our smartphone, watch trauma happening in Syria or uh, watching, you know, refugees that are drowning and that kind of thing. So we're vicariously experiencing trauma. But as I think about, and as you're discussing now, Healing one individual heals potentially a family, you know, a parent with domestic violence, an addict. And healing that one individual literally at the neurological level can begin to affect families, communities, systems. And it really is quite encouraging and exciting that that this is a way of healing the world. I think it's an exciting time for us. And I, I love how you just put it in all of those categories, Michael, that, that one person healing can really have an impact on a level that we can't even begin to comprehend. Where have you seen that play out, like that kind of concentric circle? I think of a stone being dropped into a yeah. pond yeah. and the circles going out. Well, I, I, I kind of think of it out of being a teacher. And I see, you know, I just was working with a therapist in uh, North Dakota who I trained. And she just sent me this text of how excited she was that this big change happened for her client. Well, you know, then this therapist changed that client with that client and that client now is going to go back into their life and impact their world. And so that web is just beyond what I can even imagine how big it's going. There's an old quote from Anonymous who's, <laughs> who said um, that no individual raindrop ever considers itself responsible for the flood. <laughs> and there's a there's a flood in our world. Yeah. And um, yeah. As people get whole and healed, it it pushes back the flood. Well, and I think that, like you said earlier, we're so in a society so aware of all these traumas more than ever. And how do we even regulate ourselves to hear these things and be with these things and ground ourselves? We're in such a fast society right now, and we're supposed to go faster and faster and faster. And, you know, you know, coming from my workshops that sometimes I go, we got to really slow down and that's really hard to do. It's challenging for myself. You know, it's really easy. I go, oh, I take such good care of myself. And then I get stressed and boom, all my self-care goes out the window and I'm in this high stress and I'm going a hundred miles per hour and I'm not serving anyone, especially myself when I do that. So when we get more aware, more awake, more conscious, have more skills, we can keep, like you said, impacting on this bigger level. I'd like to ask a question that I want to address in terms of 
clients in therapy as well as counselors. What would you say to first an individual or couple that's in therapy and they're not getting anywhere? They've done three, five, ten sessions, um, and maybe they've even gone to multiple counselors and not gotten anywhere. The other side of the coin is what would you say to the counselor who's working with an individual or couple and they feel stuck with those clients? Well, this this is a good question. So um, I would say example of the couple who's feeling stuck with their therapist, A, either it's not the right therapist or the right modality for them, um, and to really find someone that they connect with, that they trust. And so, um, you know, keep trying because you may not have a good a therapist who's giving you what you need. They may not have the skills that you need. Um I would also say as the therapist, when you get stuck, that's an opportunity moment. That's an opportunity moment to either get more skills for yourself or refer your clients to the person who does have the skills that could help these people. I think sometimes it's hard because the therapist, we get attached and we go, I need to help these people. And then when we get stuck, it's like, oh, I'm failing them, but what do I do? But I don't want to lose them because I want to help them. And sometimes we have to be humble and go, I'm not the right person to be facilitating this, or I need to go get some more skills so I can facilitate this. I can't tell you how many times people come into my training where they've said, I've referred so many people, so many of my clients to somebody who does EMDR therapy, and then I don't have that client anymore because they're making success with this other therapist. I hear this story all the time. And so that actually brings them in many times for the training. I've also heard uh, and I've actually done this before I got the EMDR therapy training of referring a client for EMDR therapy. And then with the breakthrough neurologically, they're then able to process things if they still need to, maybe kind of integrating their story, connecting some of the dots, working on relational issues. They can do that in a whole new way because of the healing that's occurred in their brain. Yes. And the, again, we keep talking about those changes happening. And I think it comes down to does the therapist have the skills to lead you there? One of my favorite book titles is by James Hillman, uh, the Jungian psychologist. And I think he wrote this book about 20 years ago. And the book title is called, We've Had a Hundred Years of Psychotherapy and the World's Getting Worse. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a great title? That's a great title. It's one of the most uh, daunting titles. But um, do you think that, that psychotherapy has... Um, made the world a better place? Well, I think so, yes. <laughs> but I think that there are times where if you don't feel like you're moving and progressing, then maybe you're not doing the right kind of therapy. And I guess because I come from this body-centered place and I've seen amazing things change for people, I do believe in the change and that it is helping the world. Well, I I come from a religious background where I serve people in that way. And when I got trained in EMDR, I was in kind of a vocational crisis where I didn't know if I wanted to go back to that or to integrate that. And when I've begun to understand about the brain and experience this, it's just opened up a whole new vista and I have a whole new passion for helping people through therapy. So I want to say thank you for what you do. Thank you for your training. Uh, and thank you for your enthusiasm today. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been just a lot of fun. 
So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. Restoring the Soul.